0: There's a gross disparities in how the war on drugs was applied across our country. Now we're fighting against years of brainwashing. A 16-year-old lad apprehended in the act of staging a holdup. 16 years old and a marijuana addict. Meanwhile,
1: war fighters in my community are killing themselves at a rate of 22 a day. All this stuff—it's—it's. It's, it made me feel like a complete piece of shit. I didn't want to live, you know what I mean? So we need academia to embrace it. We need our politicians to embrace it. We need a physician community to embrace it so that the patients win at the end of the day.
2: The Up Life is a production of the Unprescribed Nonprofit. This show is made possible by contributions from supporters just like you. Become a patron for as little as $3 a month to receive exclusive benefits and support a worthy cause. Visit patreon.com theunprescribed, subscribe to our channel, and follow us on social. We are The Unprescribed. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome back to part two of our conversation with Stephanie Shepard. Stephanie spent 10 years behind bars for a first-time cannabis offense. Today, she's on the board of directors for The Last Prisoner Project, a nonprofit organization dedicated to criminal justice reform. In our previous conversation, we learned Stephanie's father died while she was in prison and went to his grave believing her to be a drug dealer. Today, we pick up our conversation with Stephanie and take a closer look at the history of cannabis criminalization and the struggle for equal justice.
0: A large part of it comes from not wanting other people to experience this. And doing everything in my power and within my voice to to help that not not happen to other people. But also, um, I need to make good on this. I, I was incarcerated when my father passed away. And I never had an opportunity to have that conversation with him about what my involvement was and about why. And about what cannabis meant to me as a plant and as medicine. I'm really close to my dad and
1: you know, his him being proud of me is everything. So I definitely felt that.
2: <laughs> I could feel I, letting down. I, yeah, I get it. And and yeah. and the fact that you said about, you know, the, the reefer madness and 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 getting this tainted impression of of you. And and like you said, not being able to share it today and realizing that we this is all this is all because of of honestly, this is because of, of racism. You know, we, we made it illegal to go after, in the 70s, you know, well in the 30s we did it to go after people of color, Hispanics mainly because of marijuana. And then we get into the 70s, or, 19, or actually the 60s, into 1970, with, with the Vietnam War and the protests, and you have a lot of social, like the whole, um, you know, the, the, the revolution of social rights and everything. And they decided, well, a lot of people of color smoke cannabis and, and other things. Why don't we make it harder for them? or use it as a way of of shutting them up. And really that's what it's done. And today I meant to say this earlier and I didn't really, it wasn't the time, but when we were talking about my neighbor in the County I'm in here, I had an opportunity to sit on a a grand jury for a couple of months here in my state, in my County. And we're close to DC. And so we're a very high black population. And every, every docket that came down probably eight out of 10 of everyone I heard began with vehicle had a strong odor of cannabis, use that for permission to search and seize, which is basically the law enforcement or DEA at the federal levels, permission to bust people for whatever they can find. No, no cause for anything. Then they'll find something else, a gun or, or or prescription medicine that they shouldn't have or anything they can use. And then all these, men and women are getting arrested just like yourself so that we can fill more prisons to keep the cycle going based on a lie that was generated to keep black people down. And so that's what it's For
0: for sure, there's actually a wonderful um, dispensary in LA um, founded by two black women um, called Josephine and Billy's. And it goes to what you were saying back in the day who used you know cannabis jazz musicians and jazz singers and mm-hmm. you know they used that cannabis discrimination to target these people so Billie Holiday and Josephine Baker were both arrested for cannabis and mm-hmm. you know criminalized for their use of cannabis so yeah. I I really really appreciated when these two ladies dug that deep and came up with this wonderful dispensary josephine and billy
2: i love it that's so good
1: oh well i guess again that also leads to my next question because we are talking about you know stigmatization and you know lack of education so i guess my question is do you feel that that lack of education because you know especially when you talked about your dad not being because in society, we're, we're, we're taught, you know, I'm African, I'm of African descent, and my parents, my dad's being for one, is no, like no to cannabis, you can't smoke. I mean, now he's being that the education is getting a little bit better, he is a, a little bit laid back on it. But before, it's like, no, you can't smoke. No, this society has taught us that it's bad. Do you feel that it's that lack of education that causes that? stigmatization with the use of cannabis
0: 100 mm-hmm. percent, it does and the fact that because of where it is federally it's not being studied as it should it's not got that backing of actual scientific studies of the help that it can give to people um but they're willing to ignore that and just take the, the tax dollars and, the, you know, but they don't want to admit it's not we were wrong. We. Perpetuated a lie. Um, I definitely feel like it's a lack of education. And now that it's getting into more normalized situations and more mainstream, if you will. And, you know, there's the of moms and, you know, it's kind of like a cute group of moms who just like to, you know, consume, but at the same time, you can't glorify one group of people for their consumption and their use and vilify another certain group of people who make up the majority of incarcerated cannabis prisoners. So which is it going to be? Um, part of our job, obviously, we are a nonprofit. So we run on donations. It's individual donations, it's um, corporate donations. Um, it, anybody really. And that's the fuel that it's the education that is really as important. Um, being able to educate people who are privileged to be able to consume um, because they don't realize some of them, many of them don't realize that people are incarcerated for cannabis, whether they just now started to consume and that's always been legal for them, um, whatever the case may be, letting people know the statistics is is equally as important as any part of of what we do and i have so many people who say to me but it's legal now right like nobody's in jail for it and then i have to break it down to them and actually talk to them about some stories and talk to some constituent about some constituents and my own story like I tell my story before I ever utter a constituent story, because I know what it's like. So, um, education is very important towards normalizing.
2: You know, I, if you don't mind, I wanted to add on the education on a couple avenues. I just I I'm on the board of Americans for Safe Access, another nonprofit for um, medical access to, to cannabis, and. I'm learning a lot here just in my state of Maryland. It's a legal state and I thought everything was kosher. We got the dispensaries out here, Hope Wiseman's has hers and we're close to DC where it's legal as well. Virginia just became legal as we're thinking, just like you said, oh my God, it's a great open world. You go up to Annapolis, you get on the on the Capitol Hill, then you start learning. Lawmakers are still against it. Just because they've drawn in, made it into law, they were doing the work of the voters and at least abiding by it but they're still against it and they're not making it any easier and when you mention education it reminds me of of Dr. Sisley's studies into the efficacy or the positive sides of cannabis and historically what she it's been an uphill battle for her the entire time because it's federally illegal just because the states are legal doesn't mean that it you can do it and so to study it as a medical or just as a scientist just to find the, the benefits of cannabis is she she, basically they make it almost impossible. Just like getting into the cannabis industry. If you're not a rich white man with lots of money, you can't get in. If you're not a researcher studying, what do they call it? The dangers or there's a word for it, but basically anything wrong with it, they'll give you grants. They'll pay you and they'll even provide you weed grown in Mississippi on a federal installation. But if you want to study it for PTSD or any sort of, even recreational, you're gonna, you, you have to fight like there's no tomorrow. They will not just give it to you and they'll find every excuse in the book not to make it happen. But in the meantime, education is what we need. We need to educate the general public, the American voters to not just give up because the states are legal. We need to get it federally legal because people are still getting incarcerated for it. People are still suffering from from medical ailments that they can't because they're federal jobs or contractors and things like that. We need to take a short break, but when we return, we'll take a closer look at the current state of the cannabis industry and life after incarceration for Stephanie. Stick around. You won't want to miss out. And we're back. It's hypocrisy, like you said, to have people making money off of it, recreating off of it, while the rest of us are suffering for trying just to do the right thing because it's deemed evil in somebody else's eye. Yeah, and that's what exactly. we're do today.
1: <laughs> agree. <laughs> Again, um, well, thank you for that point. It's also um, that we've talked about a lot of stuff, but there's one thing that, I know we covered some positive and some negative stuff, but I know that you were incarcerated. You were in New York when you actually lost, you know, nine, 10 years of your life. So how do you feel now that New York is is you know almost becoming legal or decriminal decriminalizing, you know, the use of cannabis. How does that make you feel? Must be some sort of excitement.
2: Um, or or recently, or distaste. Which one is it? Yeah. Right.
0: Um, I recently went back to New York for the first time um, mm-hmm. since being, you know, remanded from the courtroom that day. It was the last day I walked New York streets. Um, so going back for MJ unpack um, a big cannabis, you know, conference and. It it can be, it, it could have been a little bit triggering, but I loved living in New York. So people were commenting to me that I seemed happy. I just seemed happier for some reason. And that's a testament to the fact that you can't put things behind you. And whereas I was nervous about how I would feel going back to New York and um seeing as where i had so much trauma there and you know went my first prison i went to five ultimately over the course of my incarceration but my first one was danbury in danbury connecticut so um it 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 i'm glad where the industry is headed i'm i i hope new york is the The perfect rollout of how it should be and how it should look and how it should benefit those um, in a social equity position. Um, I can't be mad at what happened to me because it was illegal and that's that. What I can be uh, unhappy with is that it's still happening. Is that someone in New York is still serving time for cannabis? That that's that is what continues to. We have a constituent who's getting out here very soon, um, early, which I'm so excited about, Umberto Ramirez. But there's still other people locked up in New Jersey, so it's great that we can do one person at a time, one person at a time, but. If you can do one person, you can do thousands more for the same reason. The fear of of letting out multiple people who they have deemed felons for for you know a large part of this country is too great. They're too afraid what if one of the people we let out goes on a rampage and does something crazy? I mean what if that does happen but what I try to tell people is we are not all one everyone is not predispositioned to go out and reoffend. the majority the large majority are just going to go home to their families and continue with their lives if they're allowed if you want to continue to build obstacles and roadblocks, then that's going to cause problems for, for a great number of people. But if prisons are a business, there is really no um, way to be assured that when you go to prison, you're not being rehabilitated. You're not being convinced not to come back. Who doesn't want to repeat customer? Wow. If, if 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 the prisons went out of business, I guarantee there are whole towns that are supported by prisons. So where is the motivation to not keep that prison open? There is none. And that's a problem mm. that people really need to stop and think, are they trying to make better citizens? Are they trying to help people? Are they trying to produce, you know, Have better people walk out those gates than walked in? Or do they just want to mess you up more? So make sure he comes back because I might be retiring in a few years and I'm going to need this job. So it's really something that people, uh, voters, taxpayers should really look a lot closer at. And if you do not consume and you don't care about cannabis as a plant, medicinal or otherwise, at least think about tax dollars and what better use of that money could be, instead of incarcerating me or someone like me.
2: Precisely. Yeah,
1: I I totally agree because I just think it's really unfair that someone gets inca- you know incarcerated, you know, for using cannabis, getting the same sentence as someone who actually murdered, like taken one person's life it's like you're not taking a life you know it's just just medicinal or recreational purposes and you'll get in like you mentioned you knew people doing life sentence sentences and that that was new to me because i know some people do get longer sentences, but life and that's really unfair because someone murders and doesn't even get the same amount of sentence as someone someone who is you know just gets incarcerated for cannabis so i guess we
0: i we are yeah. yeah i'm sorry oh no <laughs> okay i was just going to say we actually um something you can do uh your listeners can do is go to our take action page there's a number of campaigns there's a number of petitions we have a letter writing campaign um it kind of is This is one of the prisoners who's doing life, Alan Russell. um, It's just seeing the faces, reading the stories. It's all really important for people to kind of have a connection in some way, shape, or form. Um, If not, it's just somebody else's problem. Yeah. I mean, we're getting
1: ready to wrap wrap this the, the interview up um but what change as we get closer to the end uh, I just want to know what changes you want to see I know you talked about changes that you'd like to see but I just want you to briefly just let us know what changes you'd like to see when it comes to uh imprison,
0: imprisonment and cannabis um there should be none um legalization across the board Uh, definitely decriminalizing it. Um, There's just no, no, there should be no consequences for dealing with something you can grow in your own backyard or buy on any corner in California, practically. So, um, and relief. Nothing can move forward, no bill, Nothing can move forward without retroactive release and letting these people out who are currently incarcerated for non-violent cannabis offenses.
2: Yeah, it's it's definitely um, decriminalize and release. Um, I grew up in the 80s with the D.A.R.E. And I think I showed you my mug the last time I was here. D.A.R.E. for me stands for decriminalize and release everyone and expungement. Not just release them. Take it off their records. God damn it. People are start recreationally using this right now every day. And people are making money off of it. And they're getting small business grants and all these other different things. It's time to, to not only release them, but also clear the records that they did no wrong. Cannabis was legal before we made it, you know, less than a hundred years ago. It was available in pharmacies and, and and people could get it. It's been practiced in medicine for thousands of years, ancient China, Egypt, and 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 all around the world. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, it only because a power trip, somebody wanted to keep people down and they used it as that tool.
0: And anyway. are continuing to use it today. <laughs> exactly. and it's really funny
2: because when I started the film, I made a very clear, I said. Cannabis is one of those good fights where I don't like to be political, but this is the one political fight that you could see things equal. At least when I started, you can see things down both aisles because when they start getting dollar signs in their heads, they realize that, oh, maybe we could do something. You know, the Mm -hmm. first state, California, was the first one to legalize it. And we also have to learn from the lessons of others and not to let it get perverted because in California, now they're taking charge so much. Sales tax and other taxes on top of it that even the, the dispensary owners aren't even really able to even turn a profit. And so we got to stop that change and change that as well. Um but right. when you can get to the eyes of the lawmakers and show them dollar signs, maybe they'll listen. Right. Um,
1: and, 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 <laughs> oh go ahead. No, I was, I was gonna, was gonna ask gonna... if she
2: had any more questions, but I'll leave. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> I was gonna say that we will put um I guess we'll have a link or I, I'm not sure exactly how we'll edit it, but we'll have a link uh, to the last prison project just so because I know you talked about it and um you know if people want to go on to the take action, they would have like a direct link or they'll be able to see it so they can go onto um the page and you know look into it with the take action. Um I guess my last question is pr- probably um probably a generic question, but, uh, or a cliche, as you may say, but I know you've been advocating um, for a while now. So what advice would you really give to other advocates out there? It doesn't have to be for, you know, cannabis in general, just anyone advocating for anything right now. What advice would you have? Would you give them?
0: I know people get frustrated when things don't happen And we all know that when you are dealing with the government or agencies, um, they do move very slowly, glacially, if you will. Mm -hmm. Slow and steady wins the race. Um, Don't say yes to the first offer that's given to you or the first bill that's presented. And give your voice, lend your voice so that you are represented in the things that are happening. So I would say, take your time. Um, It is a crucial thing that we want done right now. But anything that you want done right now, when you move hastily, it usually doesn't work out. So um, for myself, I, I try to take small wins. Otherwise, it, it's such an overwhelming problem that I, I could easily feel, like, discouraged. But I'll take these small wins every day over one, you know, bigger win once a year. So I would just say keep going and don't listen to naysayers. Unless they're doing what you're doing or better, or more.
2: Excellent. There's a lot of there's a lot of battles, but we can win the war. Don't let us get knocked down. We get back up, dust off, and keep fighting.
1: <laughs> Have to. So it's it's definitely been a pleasure having you. It's been we've laughed, we've cried. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just grateful to meet you, and you know, as I said, it's just it's just a privilege being in your presence and I wish you all the best. And I know this wouldn't be the last time we're meeting. We are definitely with you Biden.
0: (laughs) For sure. And thank you guys for having me and good luck on the, on the podcast.
2: Thank you very much. So ladies and gentlemen, you just listened to Stephanie Shepard with me and Ava. You can take action by visiting The Last Prisoner Project at thelastprisonerproject.org. You can make a donation to help their cause for as little as $4.20, $4.20. Make it higher if you want. Help them out. Same here. Help out the Unprescribed. We're available at The Unprescribed on social media. And you can visit us at www.theunprescribed.org. And don't forget to visit slash donate.html to help us raise some funds so we can keep these uh, conversations going. Thank you very much, Stephanie. Ava, I'm glad you could join us tonight. It's been a great conversation. And I wish, wish you all peace, love, and joy, and have the uplife. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you,
1: everybody. Bye-bye.
2: That's all the time we have for this episode. The Uplife is produced and directed by Steve Elmore. This show is made possible by the help of volunteers from the Unprescribed Nonprofit and supporters like you. The Uplife is part of the Alive Podcast Network. Live life unprescribed. Live the uplife. The Unprescribed Inc. is a 501c3 charitable organization. You can make a tax-deductible contribution by visiting theunprescribed.org donate.html. Become a patron, visit patreon.com theunprescribed, and follow us on social media at theunprescribed.